This is an unofficial Warhammer 40k audio rendition of The Core, written by Aaron Dembski Bowden and narrated by Delio Para. The Core Look out at my father's Imperium. Do not unroll a parchment map or analyze a hololithic star chart. Merely raise your head to the night sky and open your eyes. Stare into the blackness between worlds, that dark ocean, the silent sea. Stare into the millions of eyes of firelight, each a sun to be subjugated in the Emperor's grip. The age of the alien, the age of the inhuman, is over. Mankind is in its ascendancy, and with ten thousand claws we will lay claim to the stars themselves. Primarch Conrad Cruz, addressing the Eighth Legion during the Great Crusade. One. It knew itself only as the eldest. More than its name, this was its place in creation. It was the oldest, the strongest, the fiercest, and it had tasted the most blood. Before it had become the eldest, it had been one of the lesser breed. These weakling creatures were the eldest kin, though it remained distant from them now, seeking to quiet a hunger that would never fade. The eldest twitched in its repose, not quite asleep, not quite in hibernation, but a state of stillness that haunted between the two. Its thoughts were sluggish, a slow crawl of instinct and vague sensation behind its closed eyes. The consciousness of its kin whispered in the back of the eldest's mind. They spoke of weakness, of a lack of prey and that made such whispers ignorable. Nor was the eldest a creature capable of dreaming. Instead of sleeping, instead of dreaming as a human would, it remained motionless in the deepest dark, ignoring the thought pulses of its weakling kin and allowing its somnolent thoughts to linger on the hateful hunger that pained it to its core. Pray. Its sluggish mind ached, burning with need. Blood. Flesh. Hunger. Two. The demigods moved through the darkness, and Septimus followed. He was still unsure why the master had demanded he accompany them, but his duty was to obey, not to question. He buckled himself into his ragged atmosphere suit, a poor comparison to the demigods all enclosing Astarte's war plate, and he followed them down the gunship's ramp into the blackness beyond. Why are you going with them? A female voice had crackled over his Vox's suit. To reply, Septimus had needed to switch channels manually, turning a frequency dial built into the small suit control van brace on his left arm. By the time he'd patched into the right channel, the female voice had repeated the question in a tone both more worried and 
more irritated. I said, why are you going with them? I don't know, the servant replied. He was already falling behind the Astartes and was practically jogging to keep pace. For all the use it was, the Luminator mounted on the side of his helm cast its weak lance of light wherever he looked. A beam of dull amber speared the head, cutting the darkness with illumination so thin and dim it was almost worthless. The spotlight brushed over arched walls of unpolished metal, gantry floor decking, and, after only a few minutes, the first body. The master and his brothers had already passed, but Septimus slowed his stride, kneeling by the corpse. Keep up, slave! One of them voxed back to him as they descended deeper into the dark tunnels. Ignore the bodies! Septimus allowed himself a last look at the body. Human. Male. Frozen stiff in the heatless dark. He could have been dead a week or a hundred years. All sense of decay was halted with the vessel powered down and open to the void. A rime of frost coated everything with a crystalline second skin, from the walls to the decking to the dead man's tortured face. Keep up, slave! The voice called back again, snarling and low. Septimus raised his gaze, and the weak beam trailed out into the darkness. He couldn't see the master or the master's brothers. They'd moved too far ahead. What met his questing stare instead was altogether more gruesome, yet not entirely unexpected. Three more corpses, each as frost-rimmed and death-tensed as the first, each one frozen tight to the metal floor of their corridor tomb. Septimus touched the closest ice-hardened wound with his gloved fingertips, making a face as he touched torn bones and red meat as unyielding as stone. He felt the decking shiver under thudding footfalls. With the ship open to the void, the approaching demigod's steps were soundless, sending tremors through the floor. Septimus raised his head again, and the lamp beam illuminated a suit of armor that troubled, turgid blue of flawed sapphire. Septimus! The towering suit of armor voxed. In its dark fists was a heavy bolter of bulky, archaic design, much too large for a human to carry, adorned with bleached skulls hanging from chains of polished bronze. The cannon's muzzle had been forged into a wide-jawed skull, the barrel thrusting from the skeleton's screaming mouth. Septimus knew the weapon well, for he was the one who maintained it, repaired it, and honored the machine spirit within. He rose to his feet. Forgive me, Lord Mercurian. The warrior's slanted eyelids scanned him with unblinking scrutiny. Is something amiss? Mercurian's voice, even over the vox, had a quality most of the others lacked. Nestled among the inhuman depth and resonance was a hint of altered vowels born of his accent. The refined edge to Mercudian's speech hinted at a youth of expensive education, and it colored his nostromen. Nolan, nothing is amiss. Curiosity overtook me, that's all. The warrior inclined his head back down the corridor. Come, Septimus, stay close. Does the additional weight trouble you? No, lord. That was a lie. 
but not much of one. He carried a heavy ammunition canister over his shoulder in addition to the oxygen tanks on his back. The canister was densely packed with folded belts of ammunition for the massive bolter cannon clutched in Mercutian's gauntlets. The warrior carried two similar containers himself, locked to his belt. Another voice crackled over the box, also speaking in Ostraman, but with a bladed end to each syllable. Septimus knew the Hive Ganger accent well enough. He'd learned to speak it himself as a natural inflection when his master had taught him the language. Most of the demigods spoke in the same way. Hurry up, both of you, the voice barked. We're coming, Zyro, replied Mercutian. The warrior led the way, immense gun lowered, boots thumping noiselessly on the decking. He stepped over the dead bodies, paying them no heed. Septimus moved around them, marking how each one had been disemboweled with gruesome totality. He'd seen wounds like these before, but only on hololithic biological displays. As he followed Mercutian, the slave adjusted the tuning dial on his wrist. Gene Steelers, he whispered into the private channel. The woman on the other end was named Octavia, for she was the eighth slave, just as Septimus was the seventh. Be careful, she said, and meant it. Septimus didn't reply at first. Octavia's tone showed she knew just how insane her own words were, given the existence they shared as pawns of the Night Lords. Have they told you why we're here? I'm not buying the salvage story. Not a word, she said. They've been silent with me since we left the Sea of Souls. We used to salvage hulks all the time back on the Covenant of Blood. At least, when we weren't cut to pieces by Imperial guns. But this feels different. Different how? Worse. For a start, this one is bigger. Septimus checked his wrist chronometer again. He'd been on board the Hulk for three hours now. Three. Three hours before, a wicked blade of a vessel had translated in-system, leaving the warmth's grip in a burst of plasma mist and engine fire. The ship was the dark of a winter's midnight sky, its edges embossed in the kind of beaten, shining bronze that covered the armored torsos of Terra's ancient heroes in those ignorant, impious generations before mankind had first reached out into the stars. A thing of militaristic beauty, armored ridges and gothic spinal architecture presented in sleek viciousness. It was a barbed spear, blackened blue and golden bronze, surging through the void. There were no active vessels nearby, Imperial, Xenos, or otherwise, but had any been present and had they possessed the capacity to break the Auspex encryption haze projected by the dark ship, they would have known the ship by the name it bore in the Horus Heresy ten thousand years before. In that foulest of ages, this ship had hung in the skies above Holy Terra as the world's atmosphere burned. A million ships painted the void with flame as they raged at each other, while the planet below 
the cradle of humanity caught fire. This ship had been there, and it had slain vessels loyal to the golden throne, casting them from orbit to tear through Terra's cloud cover and hammer into the Emperor's cities. Its name was Ashilas Sivail, in a dead language, from a dead world. In Imperial Gothic, it translated loosely as Echo of Damnation. The Echo of Damnation ghosted forwards on low-burning engines, cutting space in silent repose. On its bridge, humans worked in unison with beings that hadn't been human for generations. In the center of the ornate chamber, a figure sat on a throne of black iron and burnished bronze. The Astartes wore ancient armor. The pieces cannibalized from a dozen and more dead warriors over the years and repainted with great reverence. Jawless skulls hung on chains from his shoulder guards, rattling with each of the warriors' movements and every shiver of the ship he commanded. The face he presented to the world was a skulled faceplate with a single rune drawn from a dead language branded into its forehead. A hive of activity pulsed around the seated figure. Officers in outdated Imperial Navy uniforms bereft of insignia worked at various consoles, tables, and cogitator screens. An aging human at the broad helm console pushed a heavy steel lever into its locked position and consulted the display screens before him, reading the scrolling runic text that spilled out in merciless reams. Such a flow of lore would be meaningless to inexpert eyes. Translation complete, my lord, he called over his shoulder. All decks, all systems, all stable. The masked figure upon the throne inclined his head in a slow nod. It was still waiting for something. A voice, female, young but stained by exhaustion, spoke out across the bridge, emerging from speakers and mouths of demonic-faced gargoyles sculpted into the metal walls. We made it, the voice breathed. We're here, as close as I could get. At last, the enthroned figure rose to its feet and spoke for the first time in several hours. Perfect. Its voice was deep, inhumanly low, yet possessed of a curiously soft edge. Octavia. Yes, the female voice asked again, breezing over the bridge. I... I need to rest, Master. Then rest, Navigator. You have done well. Several of the human bridge crew shared uncomfortable glances. This new commander was unlike the last. Acclimatization was slow in coming, as most of them had served under the exalted, or even worse, masters for many long years. None were used to hearing praise spoken in their presences, and it aroused suspicion before anything else. From an alcove in the bridge chamber's western wall, the scry master called out his report. Although he was human, his voice was mechanical with half of his face 
throat and torso replaced by inexpensive crude bionics. The augmentics that served in place of his human flesh had been earned for his actions in the fall of Villamus five months before. Osmax is alive again, Master, he called. Illuminate me, said the armored commander. He was staring at the Oculus, but the great screen at the front of the bridge chamber remained half-dead, blinded by ferocious interference. He was unconcerned, well used to such static annoyance after a journey through the warp. The Oculus always took a while to realign and revive. Sometimes he saw faces in the grayish storm of confused signals that blasted across the crackling viewscreen. Faces of the fallen, the lost, the forgotten, and the damned. These always made him smile, even as they screamed at him in voices of tortured white noise. The scrymaster spoke while staring down at his auspex displays spread over four flickering screens, each one detailing a spread of numerical lore about the ship's surroundings. Three quarters of velocity for 15 minutes and 38 seconds from boarding pod range from intended target. The commander smiled behind his faceplate. Blood of the father, Octavia. All praised your skills for this, he thought. To break from the sea of souls this close to a moving target. For such a young navigator, she was skilled. Or lucky. Beyond all expectation adapting to racing through the secret pathways of the Empyrean with tenacity and instinct. Any contacts from nearby vessels? None, Master. All good so far. The commander nodded to the left side of the bridge, where the defensive stations were manned by ragged, uniformed officers and servitors capable of focusing on nothing but their appointed duties. Maintain the shriek he ordered. Yes, master, one of the officers called. The man, an acolyte of the broken mechanicum, possessed an additional pair of multi-jointed arms extending from his back-mounted power pack. These worked on a separate console beside the one he manipulated with his biological fingers. Plasma bleed is significant, the acolyte intoned. The shriek can be maintained for another 2.15 hours before aura scry inhibitors must be powered down. That would be long enough. The commander would cease the shriek as soon as the region was absolutely secure. Until then, he was content to let the echo of damnation fill near space with a thousand frequencies of howling noise and wordless machine screams. Any other vessels in range to trace the echo on their scanners would find their auspex readers unable to detect definitive targets in the jamming field, and their vox channels conquered by the endless static-laden screams. The Shriek had been Tech Priest Deltrian's most recent invention. Invisibility to Imperial scanning had its uses, but it also fed with greedy abaddon on power that other areas of the ship needed to function. When the shriek was live, the void shields were thin, and the prow lances were completely powered down. All remaining power to the engines, 
The commander still watched the distorted oculus. Bring us closer to the target. Lord, the scrymancer swallowed. The target is... It's vast. It is a Mechanicus vessel. The fact it's huge is no surprise to me, nor should it be to you. No, master. It reads as significantly larger than vessels of approximate design and specification. Define vast, said the commander. Auspec's reports indicate a mass in approximation of Jathus Secundus, master. There was a pause, during which the bridge fell almost silent. The loudest sound was the commander's breathing, which rasped in and out of his helm's vox speaker. The crew were still unfamiliar with their new master, but they could all too easily recognize the harsh breathing of an Astartes on the edge of losing his temper. We have dropped from the warp, the commander hissed through closed teeth, to seek a ship fused within a space hulk. Are you telling me the scryers indicate this hulk is the size of a small moon? Yes, my lord, the scrymaster cringed. Do not flinch when addressing me. I will not slay you for delivering irritating information. Yes, master. Thank you, master. The commander's next reply was interrupted by the oculus, at last resolving into focus. The static cleared. The distortion bled away. The screen showed with treacherous clarity, a distant mesh of conjoined, ruined spaceships fused together as if by the will of some capricious, mad god. And it was, as the commander had cursed, the size of a small moon. One of the other Astartes by the commander's throne stepped forwards, his own dark helm inclined towards the oculus. Blood of Horus, there must be... Two hundred ships in that, the commander nodded, unable to look away. It was the largest drifting hulk he'd ever seen. It was, he was almost certain, the largest any human or Astartes had ever seen. Scan that insane mess for the remnants of the Mechanicus exploratory vessel, he growled. Hopefully... It will be one of the ships merged at the outer layers. Acolyte, cease the shriek. Helm, bring us in closer. A muted compliance master came from the primary helmsman. Make ready first claw for boarding operations, the commander said to the other Astartes. As he reseated himself on the metallic throne, he stared at the growing superstructure filling the oculus. Details, warped contours, mangled spires were beginning to become visible. And inform the Corifus of the bleeding eyes that I wish to speak with him immediately. When its claws were not in use, they closed into awkward talons, curling in upon themselves and betraying a creature no longer suited to walking along the ground. Its movements had a jagged hesitance as it entered the chamber, 
punctuated by twitches in its limbs and flaw-borne ticks in its enhanced musculature. This spasming posture had nothing to do with cowardice and everything to do with the fact that the beast was caged, forced to act as one of its former brethren, forced to walk and speak. Such things had been alien to the creature, if not completely anathema for some time now. It walked on all fours, hunched over in a cautious stalk, hand talons and foot claws clanking on the deck. The cylindrical turbine engines on its back swayed with the creature's awkward gait. The being's helmed face showed little evidence of the ties to its bloodline, now changed by war and the warp into something altogether more hateful. Gone were the runic markings in painted skull over blessed ceramite. In place of traditional legion signifiers, a sleek faceplate offered a howling demon's visage to the world beyond, with a mouth grill set in a scream that had lasted since its godfather died. The twisted face flicked to watch each of the other Astartes in turn, snapping left and right like a falcon choosing prey. The servos in fiber bundle cabling making up its armor's neck joints no longer purred with easy locomotion, they barked with each accusing twitch of its face. My summon! The creature demanded in a voice that wouldn't have been out of place, creaking from the gnarled maw of a desert vulture. My summon! Why? Talos rose from the command throne. First claw moved as he moved, five other Astartes approaching the hunched creature, their weapons within easy reach. The Corifus! Talos said, and inclined his head in respect before saluting, fist over both hearts, his gauntlet and forearm covering the ritually mutilated imperial eagle emblazoned across his chest. Soul Hunter! It snarled a chuckle from lungs that sounded much too dry. <laughs> Speak, brother! I listen! Soon after, the echo of damnation drifted in close, dwarfed by the immense hulk and utterly eclipsed in the shadow it cast from the light of a distant sun. Two pods blasted from housings in the ship's belly, twisting like drills through the void until they pounded into the softer metal of the hulk's skin. On the echo's bridge, two signals pulsed back to the communications array. The first was soft voice and colored by vox crackle. The second was delivered in short, sharp hisses. This is Talos of First Claw. We're in. The Corvus! Ninth Claw! Inside! Four. Ten hours in, and seven hours since he'd last spoken to Octavia, the ship through which they traveled had gravity and air cyclers active, which was a small mercy. Septimus knew better than to confess his hunger to the Astartes. They were above such things and had no mind to be concerned with mortal needs. He had dehydrated ration tablets in his webbing, but they did little more than take the edge off his hunger. First, Claw moved through the dark corridors with a relentlessness made sinister by their silence. An hour before, 
Septimus had risked stopping to take a piss against a bulkhead and had needed to sprint to catch back up with him. His return had been greeted with nothing more than a growl from one of the squad. Clad in ancient armor, a bloodied palm print smeared across the faceplate, Uzus had snarled at the returning human. As greetings went, by Uzus standards, it was almost cordial. They traveled through fourteen vessels, though it was a nightmare to decide just where one finished and another started, or if they were moving through the aborted remnants of a malformed ship they'd already crossed in another section. Most of the time was spent waiting for the servitors to cut, cutting through sealed bulkheads, cutting through warped walls of fuselage, cutting through mangled metal to reach a traversable area beyond. The two servitors labored with mindless diligence, their actions slaved to the signum control tablet held in Deltrian's skeletal hands. Drills, saws, laser cutters, and plasma burners heated the air around the two bionic slaves as they carved their way through another blockage of twisted wall. The tech priest watched this through eyes of emerald, the gems sculpted into layered lenses and fixed into the sockets of his restructured face. Deltrian had fashioned his own body to exacting standards. The schematics he had designed in the construction of his physique were, by the standards of human intellect, closer to art than engineering. Such was the effort necessary to survive the centuries alongside the Astartes, when one lacked the immortality allowed by their gene-forged physiology. He knew he made the human uneasy. He was familiar with the effect his appearance had on unaugmented mortals. The equations in his mind that mimicked biological thought patterns reached no answer to rectify this adverse effect, and he was not certain it was, technically speaking, an error to be corrected. Fear had its uses when harvested from others. This was a lesson he had learned from his association with the Night Lords. The tech priest acknowledged the human now with an inclination of his head. The serf was one of the chosen, and deserved a modicum of respect due to his position as artificer for first-clause armor and weapons. Saptabes, he said. The human startled while the servitors worked on, Honored adept, the slave nodded back. The corridor they occupied was low and claustrophobic. First Claw were busying themselves elsewhere, patrolling nearby chambers. Do you know why you are here, Septimus? Septimus didn't have an answer. Deltrian was an ugly thing of darkened metal, fluid-filled wires and polished chrome. A metallic skeleton complete with its circulatory system and wreathed in an old robe of thick weave, the color of blood in the moonlight. It must have taken a perverse sense of humor to reforge your own body over the decades into something that looked like a bionic replica of some pre-imperial Terran death god. Septimus didn't share the joke, if indeed it was one. For the moment, Deltrian's eye lenses were deep green, likely cut from emeralds, 
This was by no means a permanent feature. Often, they were red, blue, or transparent, showing the wireworks behind, linking to a brain that was at least partly still human. I do not know, honored adept. The masters have not told me. I believe I am able to make an approximate analysis. <laughs> Deltrian laughed, buzzing like a vox slipping from the right frequency. There was a threat buried in that. Irritation made Septimus bold, but he kept his hands from resting on the two holstered las pistols at his hips. Deltrian might be favored as an ally from the Mechanicus, but he was just as shackled in service to the Eighth Legion as Septimus was. Feel free to enlighten me, honored adept. You are human. The skinless creature turned its death's head grin away to regard its servitors once more. Human and unarmored in enclosing ceramite, your blood your heart beat, your sweat and breath. All of these biological details will be detected by the predatory Xeno species aboard this hulk. With all respect, Deltrian, Septimus turned, looking back at the long corridor they'd walked down, you're deluded. I see you, and I hear you all do well, and my engineered stimulus array is comparable to the senses of the gene-stealer Enus. My oral receptors register your breathing like a world's winds, and your beating heart like the primal drums of a primitive culture. If I sense this Septimus, and I assure you that I do... Then you should know that the many living beings sheltering on this derelict sense it as well. Septimus snorted. The idea of the Night Lords using him, one of their more valuable slaves, as bait was... Contact! Voxed Talos. In the distance, bolters began to bark. Five. The eldest stirred from the cold, cold darkness of the nothingness that was as close to sleep as its species could know. A faint pain echoed, faded but troubling, in the base of its curved skull. This weak pain soon spread with gentle insistence, beating through its blood vessels and twining with the creature's pulse. The pain cobwebbed down the eldest's spine and through its facial structure, emanating from its sluggish mind. This was not the pain of a wound, of defeat, of a hunter denied. It did not eclipse the hunger need, but it was even less welcome. Its taste and resonance were so very different, and the eldest had not felt such a thing for... for some time. Its kin were dying. The eldest felt each puncturing hole each ravaged limb, each bleeding socket in this echoing ghost pain. In the darkness it uncoiled its limbs, joints clicked and cracked as they tensed and flexed once more. Its killing claws shivered, 
opening and closing in the cool air. Digestive acid stung its tongue as saliva ducts tingled back into life. The eldest drew a shaking breath through rows of shark's teeth, and the cold air was a catalyst to its senses. Its featureless eyes opened, thick ropes of drool slivering down its chin, dangling from its maw to fall in hissing spittle droplets on the decking. After dragging itself from the confines of its hiding place, the eldest set out through the ship in search of the creatures killing its children. It smelled blood in the air, heard the rhythm of a prey's heart, and scented salty sweat on soft skin. More than this, it sensed the buzzing hum of living sentience, the brain's fleshy electricity of emotion and thought. Life. Human. Near. The eldest clicked to itself with bladed mouth parts and leaned forwards into a hungry run, bolting through the black passageways with its claws hammering on the metal. Kin, it sent silently, I come. Six. Lycorifus and his team were not slowed down by the presence of a human or a tech priest, nor did they rely on lobotomized servitors to breach obstructions. Instead, several of Lycorifus's raptors were armed with melta-guns, breathing out searing surges of gaseous heat intense enough to liquidate the metal it blasted. As a pack, the bleeding eyes, still growing used to their new designation of Ninth Claw, moved at far greater speed through the amalgamation of twisted ships. Unlike Talos and First Claw, Lycorifus and his brothers had no specific target. They scouted. They stalked. They sought whatever of worth they could find. And so far, that had been nothing at all. The boredom was made bitter by the fact that they had been heading deeper in search of the conjoined Mechanicus vessel at the Hulk's core. Lycorifus was sure the bleeding eyes would have been there by now and on their way back out. Vox was increasingly erratic as Ninth Claw pressed ahead of their brothers, and Lycorifus was fast losing patience with First Claw's progress. The initial hesitations had come from their human slave holding them back. Then their tech adept had forced them to lag behind while he, while it, bled information from various databanks and memory tablets in the ship's first claw was cutting through. Vaporize your weapons! Lycorifus's hissing voice carried over the Vox. Melt the class weapons! No cutting! No cutting servitors! Much faster! Talos's reply was punctuated by the dull juttering of bolters. Noted. Be aware, we've encountered an insignificant gene-stealer threat. Minimal numbers, at least in this section. What is your location? Lycorifus led his pack onwards, through spacious corridors, each of the raptors hunched and loping beast-like on all fours. The construction of these passageways was utterly familiar. A starter's ship, standard template construct, not ours, throne slaves. 
understood. And Izino's presence. Some few now. The cylindrical engine housing on his back idled in disuse, occasionally coughing black smoke from vent slits. Moving to engineering, vessel still has partial power. Some lights, some doors open, some not ancient like others. This is close to Hulk's edge. Understood. More bolter fire and the dim sounds of other Astartes cursing as Talos replied. These things are stunted and weak. They seem almost decrepit. Gene Steeler Zeno's present for many decades. No prey, no strength. Beasts grow old, grow frail, still deadly. It's no struggle yet. The chatter of bolters began to die down. Report status every... Ten minutes. Yes, prophet. I obey. On four claws, the once human stalked on, his slanted eye lenses following the contours of the walls. The corridor at last opened up into a large room, blissful in its dark silence, populated by towering generators and a wall-mounted plasma chamber that still, against all expectations, emitted a faint orange glow from the volatile cocktail of liquids and gases roiling in the glass chamber's depths. Without needing orders, the raptors spread across the engine deck, moving to consoles and gantries, taking up firing positions to cover the room's exits. Several of the pack let their thrusters whine into life, boosting their way up into the higher platforms. With difficulty, the Corifus fought down the urge to soar with them. Even in the confines of the ship's interior, he ached to leave the trudging discomfort of the ground behind. Indulging a little, he cycled his turbines live with an effort as simple as natural as drawing breath. The kick of thrust carried him across the engineerium to land in a neat crouch before the main power console. Eight dead servitors lay scattered around the controls, reduced to figures of bone and bionics. One of Lacorifus's best, Vorasha, was already at the console, his curving finger talons clicking at the controls. Plasma chamber depleted. Vorasha's voice slithered from his helm's snarling speaker grill. The power has bled from the chamber over decades, yes, yes. Restore it! The raptor leader emphasized the order with a short, sharp sound somewhere between a shriek and a whisper. Do this now! Varasha's talons clicked on keys and worked levers. I am not able to do this. Most of the vessel is lifeless. Can send power from section to section, yes, yes, with ease. Open bulkheads too dense to burn through fast. Cannot Restore all power to all sections. Lacorifus's reply came in a keening, aggravated tone. Many redundant sections kill power in them. Then we move. It will be done, said Vorasha, and began to divert what little power remained in the ship's blood vessels, forcing it into the sections that the bleeding eye raptors had to cross. At his estimate, 
Varash was going to be able to save them almost an hour of burning through locked bulkhead doors on their way through the ship. What is this ship? Lecorifus asked, his faceplate turned to the ceiling, seeking any indication of allegiance or identity. The answer came from one of the others. Zon Law found a body no more than ten seconds after his leader had asked the question. Armored in green, it lay on the raised gantry deck above the engineer room floor, cut into pieces by the violence of alien claws. It displayed its brotherhood all too clearly in the bronze dragon emblem across its breastplate. Eighteenth Legion, the raptor hissed, recoiling in disgust. Zon Law's tongue ached with the sudden need to spit his corrosive saliva onto the skeletal corpse. Varasha, linked to the ship's faded power core, turned to Lecorifus. Power killed in redundant decks. Ship name is Protean. Yes, yes, 18th Legion. Lecorifus chuckled behind his faceplate. The red eye lenses stared out, with scarlet and silver tears painted in twin trails down his cheeks. It was a visage shared by all his brothers in the bleeding eyes. Each of them watched the world through helms with slanted eyes and cried tears of quicksilver and crimson. Salamanders, we killed so many in the old war. Amazed did he still draw breath? Wait, wait. Varasha never really talked. He hissed and clicked in place of true speech, but the other raptors could make out the meaning in his broken language with ease. I sense others. I hear others nearby. Lecorifus was as tense as his brother's, head tilted. He had heard it too. Weapon fire. Salamanders, Zonla rasped. Still alive on ship. Lecorifus was already making his ungainly way to the double doors that led deeper into the ship's decks. Not for long. Nine of you remain with Varasha. Nine more with me. Zarl and Uzas, both warriors of First Claw, sprayed the hallway with suppressive fire, boulders kicking in clenched fists. Uzas's field of fire was random, chewing down whichever alien beast drew his attention each particular second. Zarl was all controlled aggression, bolts punching home into the skulls of the closest aliens and crippling those that sought to rise again. Both of them picked up the crackling declaration from Talos, and both were equally infuriated. The bleeding eyes, several hours deeper into the amalgamated hulk, had encountered loyalist Astartes. Salamanders. Too far away. Far too far for First Claw to reach them. Talos ordered his brothers to maintain the guardianship of Deltrian and purge the corridors of alien threats. Zarl concentrated his anger into the killing urge, drawing his chainsword and tearing left and right, weaving wounds among the gene-stealers that reached the embattled warriors. Uzas, never one for subtlety or self-discipline, 
howled his bitterness through the uncaring hallways and tore into the aliens with his bolter, his chain blade, and even his bare hands. Macorifus, this is Talos. No words now, hunting. Assess the enemy threat first. Do not engage without assured victory. Coward! We have the echo of damnation in the void nearby. Fool, we can cripple their ship in space and deploy boarding pods at our leisure. Do not engage without assured victory. We do not have the strength here to face down Terminators. No reply came, except for the rabid charging of hand claws and foot talons on metal decking. Talos exhaled slowly. It left his helm's Vox speakers as a demonic rasp. This was not going to plan. His standing orders for the strike cruiser had been to power down and activate the shriek if any Imperial vessels came into the system. There was little chance the salamander ship had detected and destroyed the Echo, but Talos was far from sanguine. Deltrian was taking too long, and Lacorifus, as always, was an uncontrollable element. First claw to Echo of Damnation! The Vox was still worthless. They'd have to get back to the Hulk's outer layers to restore contact. Deltrian, Talos voxed. Status report. Seven. The eldest rounded a corner, clinging to the walls with claws that crunched perches into the arched, ancient steel. It didn't slow down, not even for a fraction of a heartbeat. Burning saliva stung its jaws as it drooled down its chin. Pray, too. Ahead. The eldest leapt over the bodies of fallen kin, moving its headlong dash to the ceiling as it tore forwards, still not slowing its stride. Claws ripped handholds into the corridor roof with vicious speed. Bodily, it shoved its lesser kin aside, bashing through those tall enough to obstruct its passage. In better times, their links to the eldest's mind would have sent them scurrying aside respectfully sensing their lord's approach. Reloading. Mercudian dropped to one knee and ejected a spent ammunition belt from the massive heavy bolter. At his side, Siren took aim with his own weapon and the corridor echoed with the familiar crashing of a bolter letting loose on full auto. Reload faster. Keep shooting. Mercudian snarled. And on the damn ceiling. Keep shooting. Beneath and around, the hard bodies of its kin were shattering and bursting under the prey's defenses. The prey ahead, two of them, unleashed a sickening stream of burning anger that blasted the eldest's kin apart. The heated projectiles began to crash against the eldest's skin. It suddenly remembered what pain felt like. Mercudian buckled the ammo feed into place and lifted his heavy bolter again. It took three awful seconds to power it up again, then its internal mechanisms clunked into life. 
An instant's glance saw Sirens bolt or fire laying waste to the weaker creatures, but the huge beast was shrieking its way through a volley of bolter fire, still sprinting across the ceiling, eating up the meters between them. He didn't rise to his feet. Remaining where he was, he pulled the trigger handle and felt his armor's stabilizers kick in to compensate for the cannon's recoil. The heavy bolter shook as it disgorged a stream of high-velocity explosive bolts, each one pounding chunks of chitinous meat from the creature's exoskeletal flesh. As the twelfth bolt struck home, the beast fell from the ceiling, plunging into the seething mass of lesser creatures below. Mercudian lowered his aim and let his cannon chew into them next. The eldest smelled its own blood, and this was somehow more shocking than the pain of its burst-open, bleeding wounds. The scent overpowered the wounds of its kin, eclipsing them in richness and potency. The lord creature drew in its damaged limbs, curling them close to its body. It had misjudged the prey. The prey was fierce, the prey could not be battled as equals, but must be stalked as meat to be hunted. This was the way. The eldest's hunger had blinded it to the way, but the pain of its mistake served as the most forceful of reminders. Hunched and defeated, but utterly devoid of shame, the eldest tore its way back down the passageway, slaying its own kin in its need to retreat from the prey. Minutes later, in the silent darkness again, it uncurled its wounded limbs, waiting for the blood to stop flowing. A single thought pulse screamed noiselessly through the decks above and below. More of its kin spread across the hive, weakened by hunger themselves, uncoiled and rose from their own states of near slumber. The eldest moved away, seeking to come at the prey alone next time, and with greater patience. Mercudian lowered the heavy bolter and sank back against the wall. Cyrian locked his bolter to his thigh and drew a pistol and chain blade. At last, the corridor was mercifully quiet. Occasionally, a dead alien would twitch. Talos, this is Cyrian. Speak. The prophet's voice crackled back over the Vox. Area secure for now. Be warned, one of these gene stealers is huge. Mercudian hit it dead on with enough bolts to burst a demon and it just howled and ran away. I swear by our father's name it sounded like the bastard thing was laughing as it went. You're falling back to the irritating tech priest now. Understood. Deltrian insists this is the right ship. He has breached the starboard data storage pod. At last. So it's a Titan carrier? It was. It looks more like a Xeno's hive now. A nest of gene stealers on the edge of starvation. It would be pleasant to know we hadn't wasted a great deal of time in coming here. That, <laughs> Talos laughed, would mean that something went right for once. The link went silent. A dead gene stealer shivered no more than seven meters away from where Cyrian was standing. 
Sayrian blew its head apart with a single shot from his bolt pistol. Mercutian hauled himself to his feet with a grunt. I can see why the throne sends terminators into these places. The eldest loped through the dark tunnels, its crouched run taking it along walls and ceilings without a thought. Deeper into the hive it ran, ever deeper, moving around the prey that reeked of strange metal and powdery fire. They were strong, and the eldest was weaker than it had ever been before. It needed to feed on easier prey to regain its strength. And there was other prey. The eldest could still smell it, even over the reek of its own wounds. The other prey scent was salt-blooded and strong, and it was this meal that the eldest sought with patient intent. The armored prey were defending it, though. They encircled it, blocking off passageways and lying in wait, ready to inflict more pain. The eldest had avoided them, clawing and crawling through the tightest spaces and ripping new tunnels in the hive's steel walls. As it ran and tore and leaped and ripped, it could sense here more of its kin rising from their slumbers. It came, at last, to an expansive section of the territory claimed by its kin, where a few of its cousin creatures dwelled. The human prey was here, hiding in this immense chamber. The eldest unfolded its wounded limbs again. The blood no longer flowed. True regeneration might come in time. For now, a cessation of leakage and pain was enough. In the darkness, the eldest drooled and moved forwards once more. Something primal and instinctive opened within its mind, and an unheard shriek tremored out through the ship. Its kin must be summoned. Septimus watched the servitors working in the chamber. Occasionally his breath would miss the visor of his atmosphere suit, but when it cleared, the scene was much the same. The bionic slaves were loading up with heavy cogitator memory pods and strapping them to their backs. Deltrian, the robed tech adept, monitored their activity from beside the main console in a room full of stilled monitors and data processors. Thousands of years before, this had been the heart of a Mechanicus warship carrying titans and enhanced soldiers across the stars. In this very room, tech priests had worked their esoteric trade, storing the information of countless crusades, the gun camera footage of hundreds of battlefields, the countless Vox transmissions from generations of titan commanders and infantry officers, and most vital of all, the code keys, voice imprints, and encryption ciphers of the Titan Legion to whom this ship had once belonged. All of it added up to what the skeletal tech adept had come for, the chance to lay claim to a million secrets of the cult Mechanicus. Such lore was worth any risk. Its potential uses were infinite in the old war against the false emperor and the dregs of the true Mechanicum that still lingered, gasping and ignorant, on the surface of Great Mars. Yet it had been difficult to persuade the Night Lords of the necessity of the possibilities on offer. 
They had been lured in with the temptation of potential scavenging. It was a crude compromise by the tech priest's reasoning. Insofar as Deltrian was able to emulate human emotion anymore, he had a degree of regard for the warriors of the Eighth Legion, but he moored their lack of vision in regard to the lore he sought here. Still, they were always reliably earnest in their pursuit of piracy. He'd played to that predilection. Did you hear that? Septimus asked, his breath audible over the vox. First Claw has engaged some kind of huge creature. Deltrian diverted an insignificant portion of his attention to replying, Cooperate or Primus. What? The human's voice patterns indicated the confusion of misunderstanding rather than not hearing correctly. Deltrian admitted an irritated spurt of static from his vocalizer, the closest he could come to a sigh. Gorporator Primus, the patriarch of a gene-stealer brood, the alpha apex predator. How would you kill something like that? We do not. If it finds us, we die. Now cease vocalization. I am engaged in focused activity. Deltrian enjoyed another three minutes of relative silence. Then the muffled clinking of distant footsteps, far too fast to be human, far too soft to be Astartes, echoed through the console as the adept worked. The distant tread vibrated the panels, the tremors imperceptible to a mortal, but registering on the sensitive pads of the tech priest's metal fingers. He spared a moment of his concentration to send a short burst of digital code to display written gothic text across First Claw's visor displays. Gene Stealer threat has breached perimeter. My work is at a sensitive stage. With this task completed in less than the time it would take a human heart to beat, Deltrian continued working, entering numerical crack keys to pierce the cogitator console's encoded information locks. He was close now, close to being able to bleed the console's memory banks and loathe the fact a distraction would soon arrive. Eight. The bleeding eyes crouched, gargoyles of ceramite with twisted faces rendered into silent howls. The tunnels here were wider, freer, with ceilings sporting secondary decking and mazes of overhead cables. It was on these decks, and among these dense cables serving the low-power ship as vanes, that the bleeding eyes waited. Beneath them, their prey had taken the bait, the green-armored warrior in bulky Terminator plates stomped without a hint of grace, pounding his way through the corridors, firing at shadows with his underslung rotator cannon. Something was wrong. From their perches, the Night Lords listened to the throne-loyal Astartes admonishing enemies that did not exist, evidently fighting a battle that was not to do with the present. Burning holes streaked the walls where the cannon's stream of fire pitted the metal in long bursts of anger. The bleeding eyes shared a muted vox chuckle and stared down at the deluded warrior. He was clearly afflicted by a most amusing madness. 
and yet he had taken the bait. Shar Gan still led the Terminator on, appearing at junctions and corners, offering the flash of dark armor and screeching through his helm's vox speakers. Whatever the salamander believed he was seeing, he still gave relentless chase to Shar Gan, paying no heed to the raptors crawling several meters above him, making their way on all fours across decking and power cables. Only when Lycorifus had deemed they'd come far enough did they spring the trap. Silvanors! Their leader hissed. Both bulkheads slammed closed, cutting the corridor off from the rest of the ship. At a distant control console elsewhere on the ship, Vorasha and the second team of bleeding eyes were laughing. In the corridor below, the Terminator halted, retaining enough sense to realize he was trapped. The warrior looked up at last, as ten chain blades revved into snarling life. The bleeding eyes held to the decking, the overhead cabling, even the walls and ceiling. Lycorifus whispered into the vox a moment before his raptors pounced. Kill him! Talos entered the data storage chamber. Gravity had been restored in this area of the Mechanicus ship, and with the recommencement of gravity came the reintroduction of an artificial atmosphere. The ship automatically sealed off the voided sections with bulkheads. The restoration of air also brought a new aspect to this curious hunt. Sound had returned. It was unwelcome. The inner workings of the storage modules rattled and clanked like the engine of some struggling vehicle. Pistons hammered within the cogitator's innards. Talos had no desire to know why the archaic storage machinery required such moving parts, and the sound, in the six minutes since air had been restored by Deltrian servitors, was growing steadily more irritating. Variel had reached the chamber a few minutes before the Prophet. As Talos entered, the newest member of First Claw nodded in greeting, but said nothing. Variel's armor showed his newfound allegiance, but lacked much of the ornamentation worn by his brothers. On his pauldrons, instead of the Eighth Legion's fanged skull flanked by demon wings, Variel's insignia displayed a clawed fist rendered in black ceramite, broken by a ritual hammering. On Varial's left arm, his vambrace was a converted Narthesium unit containing liquid nitrogen storage pods, flesh drills, bone saws, and surgical lasers. While his faceplate no longer bore the white paint of an apothecary, he still carried the tools of his specialized craft. Instead of human skulls hanging from chains on his armor, Varial's warplate was decorated by the shattered helms of Red Corsair Astartes. It was these differences, subtle but significant, that set him apart from the others of First Claw. Both Talos and Varial clutched their bolters, barely watching Deltrian work, instead focusing their attentions around the spacious chamber and the rows of blank cogitator screens. Septimus hadn't removed his helmet, even with breathable air restored. He walked closer to Talos, casting a sidelong glance at the busy tech priest. Master, he voxed to the towering Astartes. 
Talo spared Septimus a momentary look. The slave's long hair, lank with sweat, was tied into a scruffy ponytail. The bionic portions of his face were glinting with reflection from the overhead lights, well maintained and clean. Septimus, be ready. The Xenos are near. The Legion Serf didn't ask how everyone but him seemed to know what was coming. He was long used to his human senses rendering him disadvantaged in the company of the warriors he still instinctively referred to as demigods. Master, why did you bring me here? Talos appeared to be watching a distant, shadowed wall. He didn't answer. Master? Why do you ask? The warrior said, still paying little attention. You have never questioned your duty before. I seek only to understand my place and role. Talos moved away, bolter at the ready. The night lord's mouth grill emitted a vox distorted snarl. Septimus tensed and didn't follow. I sense your fear. You're not here as bait. Remain sanguine. We will keep you alive. And Deltrian suggests otherwise. We might be here for days, Septimus. If our armor needed repairing, I wanted you at hand to do your duty. Days? Days? That long, master? There was a series of clicks as Talos changed to a limited Vox channel between himself and his slave. In respect for our honored tech adept, I will not say that Deltrian works slowly. I will alter the description, citing instead that he works meticulously. But you are not dense, Septimus. You know what he is like. Yes. But still, Master, could this really take days? I sincerely hope not. It has already taken long enough. If the... So wonder! Telos swore softly, and in Nostroman the curse came out like gentle poetry. The voice coming over the box was harsh, almost screeching, Macorifus's blood was up, and it filtered into his voice with astonishing clarity. Acknowledged, Lacorifus. Too many of them. Confirmed Zeno's sightings and... Not the aliens. Bastard sons of Vulcan. Two full teeth. They kill and kill. Nine bleeding eyes are dead. Nine to never rise again. Nine of twenty. Become, brother. Talos bit the urge to rail at the raptor leader for his accursed vainglory. Such idiocy had cost nine lives in a battle that could never have been won without patience and caution. Letting them slip the leash had been a mistake. My go now to the Russian, the Corifus hissed. We slaughter them all this time. Enough. Will you fall back now? Will you wait until we regroup on the ship and strike from the void? But, but the... Enough. Fall back to your second team and abandon the Brotian. Return to First Claw and we will make ready to leave. 
Let the throne slaves scurry around for their own solvents. Understand? Look, Orifice. Confirm your intentions. We'll fall back. Find Varasa. Return to Vastclaw. Good. Telos terminated the Vox Link, swallowing a mouthful of bitter, acidic saliva. Not for the first time, and not for the last, he reflected that he loathed the duties of command. The Corifus cast the melted gun aside, letting it clatter to the deck. He wouldn't be needing it again. The thrusters on his back still streamed thin smoke from coolant vents powering down after the sudden boost necessary to send him up into the ceiling in order to escape the chattering storm bolters of the salamander's elite warriors. With the Meltagun, a weapon stolen from the twitching corpse of Shargan, he had seared a hole in the ceiling and escaped up to the next deck. He'd been hit himself. With a cracked breastplate, Lacorifus could feel his armor strength depleted, some vital power feeds cut by explosive bolter fire. Bipedal walking was an awkward trial even when uninjured, so Lacorifus crawled as he'd become accustomed, all four claws finding tight purchase on the gantry floor. He moved with unnerving speed, though it hurt to do so. The Russia! His lips were wet with blood. The pain of his wounds was an irritant, but no more than that. Yes, yes. The Vox distortion was savage now. Lacorifus's war plate was in worse shape than he'd first thought. His visor kept fuzzing with static at inconvenient moments. Orders are to return to first claw. My Urtis, Varasha replied. I will obey. Wait, wait, more salamanders than we first saw, many more, find Sinos nests, awaken aliens, lead aliens to salamanders, both enemies fight, both enemies die, vengeance for bleeding eyes. Varasha's reply was a serpentine snigger. <laughs> Go now. Lacorifus screeched, Lead Zenos to Salamanders! Nine. With a moist snick, the membranes covering the eldest's sensitive eyes peeled back. It looked down the long chamber, seeing telltale suggestions of flickering movement. The human scent was stronger now, so much stronger. The eldest stalked forwards, claws scraping on the metal floor. Two of the more dangerous prey breed, those with the hammering weapons of punching fire, had entered the chamber. Though the eldest's bestial intelligence did not count them capable of slaying the creature, it had learned its lesson well. This was not a hunt to make alone. From its place of hiding in the shadows, the eldest had been screaming in silence for some time. Its kin were coming, dozens upon dozens of them, coming through the tunnels and chambers nearby. It would be enough to overwhelm even the most dangerous play. My suit, Telos voxed. He stared into the darkness, 
looking away into the six hundred meters of shadowed chamber to the north. It emerged from the wall a moment ago. I see it too. This from Varial. He approached Talos and hefted his bolter, his thermal sight easily piercing the gloom. Blood of the Emperor. Rakudian wasn't lying. Brulorn, the prophet murmured, watching the hideous alien, all chitinous limbs, clawed appendages and bulbous skull, creep closer. An immense one. Fire when it reaches optimal range. Avoid damage to the wall cogitators. Compliance, Varial said, and Talos could still hear the edge of reluctance in the newcomer's tone. His induction into the Eighth Legion was still fresh, and he wasn't used to taking orders. Talos raised his bolter, sighting through the targeter and drawing breath to summon the others. The Vox chose that moment to erupt in sounds of gunfire and Nostroman curses. All of First Claw were engaged, flooded by waves of the weakened beasts. The others evidently had their own problems. On Talos's red-tinted visor, a proximity rune turned white. In the very same moment, Talos and Varial opened fire. Deltrian's fingers blurred as they tapped keys, pushed levers, and adjusted dials. The locking code obscuring the information he desired was remarkably complex and forced a degree of instrument adjustment even as his personally designed crack keys did their work in the cogitator's programming. This was not an unexpected development, but it necessitated a division of attention that the tech adept found galling. Added to the annoyance, the firefight fifty meters to his left was a raucous irritation, for bolters were hardly quiet weapons, and the corporator primus, a breed of Xenos Deltrian had never witnessed firsthand, howled endlessly as it endured the process of being blown apart by explosive rounds. The crack-crack, crack-crack of Septimus's Laz pistols joined the throaty chatter of bolt gunfire, forming a curious percussion. Almost. Almost. Deltrian emitted a bleat of machine code from his vocabulator, the sound emerging as a tinny and flat pulse to anyone untrained in comprehending such a unique language. It was as close to a cheer as he had come in many years. Sixteen separate memory tablets slid from the main cogitator's data sockets. Each one was the approximate size and shape of a human palm. Each contained a century of recorded lore right back to the ship's founding decades. And each was priceless, an artifact of unrivaled possibility. It is gone, the tech adept said, and began to gather the data slates, apparently unaware that no one was paying him any heed at all. He turned to the mainland time to see the alien beast, its body a mess of burst wounds and both ovoid eyes left as ragged, fluid-weeping craters, Cleave Varial's leg at the knee with one of its few remaining limbs. A scythe of blackened bone, its bladed edge cracked and bleeding, chopped down in a lethal arc. Ceramite armor shattered. The Astartes went down, his leg severed, 
and he still fired up at the horror drawing closer to slay him. The death blow came from Talos, his armor a broken mess of claw-chopped metal plating. The prophet took another flailing limb strike to the side of the head in order to risk coming close enough to use his power sword. Lightning trembled along the golden blade as it sparked into life, even as the gene-stealer patriarch clashed a half-amputated sword limb against the night lord's helm. White painted shards of his faceplate tore free, scattering across the metal decking like hailstones. Telos was close enough now, with half of his face laid bare and bleeding from the creature's last blow he rammed the relic sword into the beast's spine, plunging it in two-handed through exoskeletal armor, toughened subdermal muscle flesh, and finally into vulnerable meat and severable bone. A twist, a wrench, a curse, and a pull. He sawed the sword left and right, foul-smelling blood welling up from the winding wound. The alien shrieked again, acidic, Ikor sprang from its damaged teeth to rain upon Varial's armor in hissing droplets. Talos gave his golden blade a final wrenching pull, and the beast's head came free. The creature collapsed. It twitched once or twice, the savage wounds across its body leaking sour fluids as well as dark blood. The smell, Septimus would later tell other slaves back aboard the ship, was somewhere between a carnal house and a butcher's shop left open to the sun for a month. It broke through all air filters, clinging right to the sinuses. Varial's armor was pockmarked gunmetal gray where the corrosive juices from the beast's maw scored away his war plate's paint. His severed leg wasn't bleeding. The coagulants in Astarte's blood were already working to seal the wound and scab it over. Any pain was dulled by his armor's narcotic injectors, dispensing stimulants and pain suppressors into his bloodstream. Yet he growled a curse as he dragged himself away from the stilled beast and swore in a language only he understood. Deltrian analyzed the linguistic pattern. It was most likely a dialect of Badab, a tongue from Varial's homeworld. The details were irrelevant. Talos's suit of armor was almost entirely stripped of color, the acids and burning blood having blistered the ceramite and scorched the dark paint away. He regarded the creature's steaming body, with half of his face visible due to the damage he'd taken to his helm. The tech adept saw the prophet scowl and fire another bolter shell into the dead alien's severed head. What remained of the gene-stealer's skull vanished in an explosion of wet fragments that clacked off the walls, the floor, and Talos's own armor. Septimus looked on, catching his breath. He knew repairing and repainting both of these ancient suits of battle plate was going to be a time-consuming process. He felt it was to his credit that he didn't say so here and busied himself with holstering his guard-issue Laz pistols before leaning against the wall. To hell with that, he breathed. Diltrian watched this scene for exactly 4.2 seconds. I said, it is done. He couldn't keep the rising impatience from his tone. May we leave now?
10. When the echo of damnation pulled away from the hulk, the shriek fell silent as plasma contrails misted the void behind the ship. Engines running, breathing the mist into space, the echo tore away from the vast amalgamation of forgotten ships. On the command throne, his armor still a gray and cracked ruin, Telos watched the oculus. It showed a slice of deep space. No more, no less. How long ago did they leave the system? He asked. These were the first words he had uttered since returning and taking the throne. The answer came from one of the aging human officers, still in his Imperial Navy uniform, albeit stripped of the Emperor's insignia. Just over two hours, my lord. The salamander vessel was running dangerously hot. We think the shriek unnerved them. They broke orbit and ran, rather than seek the signal source. They did not find the ship. They barely even looked, my lord. They withdrew their boarding teams and fled. Talos shook his head. The sons of Vulcan are passing and slow, but they are starters and know no fear. Whatever sent them crawling from the system was a matter of grave import. As you say, my lord, what are your orders? Telos snorted. <laughs> Two hours is not an insurmountable head start. Follow them. Make ready all claws. Once we reach them, we will tear them from the warp and pick apart the bones of their ship. Compliance, master. The prophet allowed his eyes to drift close as the ship rumbled into activity around him. The Hall of Reflection housed what few relics remained to the warriors of Talos's warband. In more glorious eras, such a chamber would have been a haven for prayer, for purification through meditation, and to witness the Legion's history through the weapons and armor once born and worn by its heroes. Now it served as something not quite a workshop and not quite a graveyard. Deltrian was lord of the chamber, a haven where his will and word were law. Servitors worked at various stations repairing pieces of armor, replacing the teeth tracks of fouled chainswords, forging new bolter shells and creating the explosive innards. And here, in ritually preserved stasis fields, the ornate sarcophagi of fallen warriors were mounted on marble pedestals, awaiting the moment they would be mounted in the bodies of dreadnoughts and sent to war once more. Several fluid-filled suspension tanks bubbled away, most empty, in need of flushing and scrubbing, and a few occupied by naked figures rendered indistinct by the milky, oxygen-rich amniotic fluids. Deltrian had returned to his sanctum several minutes before, and was already inserting the data tablets into the sockets of his own cogitators to drain the lore into his own memory banks. The doors to the Hall of Reflection remained open, Deltrian allowed the data transfer to occur unwatched and instead waited for the guests he was expecting. 
At last, they arrived, twelve warriors in a ragged line. Each of the dozen Astartes showed signs of recent and grievous battle. Each of them had survived a harrowing six further hours on board the Hulk, fending off gene-stealers and hunting the accursed creatures back to their nests. The salamanders had done an admirable job in their purging, but had still lost a total of six warriors on board the Protean, thanks to the efforts of Varasha and the bleeding eyes diverting wave after wave of Zeno's beasts into their section of the ship. Six souls lost, six warriors fallen. It did not seem many on the surface of things. The night lords had lost nine, all of them from the bleeding eyes. Lacorifus seemed untroubled. The weak fall, the strong rise, he'd said as they boarded the echo of damnation. Deltrian observed that this was as close to philosophy as the degenerate warrior had ever come. The bleeding eyes leader had no reply to that. Deltrian watched the twelve Astartes enter the hall of reflection now. Each pair carried a great weight between them, the broken bodies of armored salamander warriors. One of the butchered warriors was carved with both surgical precision and gleeful brutality, slain by the bleeding eyes and earning the ignoble honor of being the first to fall. The others showed a vicious spread of gene-stealer wounds, punctured breastplates, sundered limb guards, crushed helms. But nothing, Deltrian mused, that would be irreparable. The night lords arranged the bodies on the mosaic inlaid floor. Six dead salamanders. Six dead salamanders in Terminator warplate, complete with storm bolters, power weapons, and a rare assault rotator cannon, practically unseen amongst the traitor legions who are forced to wage war with scavenge equipment and ancient weaponry. This hall, this sacred bounty in the blessed machine god's name, was worth infinitely more than the lives of fourteen night lords. Deltrian caressed the draconic emblem of the salamander's chapter, embossed in black stone on one dead warrior's pauldron. Such markings could be stripped, the armor itself modified and refashioned. The machine spirits turned bitter and of more use to the Eighth Legion. Let the Night Lords spit and curse for now. He could see it in their black eyes. Each one of them recognized the value of this hull, and each one hoped to be one of the elite few ordained to wear this holy armor once it was profaned and made ready. Nine lives in exchange for the secrets of a titan legion and six units of the most powerful armor created by mankind. Deltrian always smiled, for that was how his schoolish face was formed. Now, however, as he regarded his newfound riches, the expression was sincere. You've been listening to an unofficial Warhammer 40,000 audio rendition of The Core, written by Aaron Dimsky-Bowden and narrated by Delio Para. <laughs>